Well, uh, I'm really happy to be home. I've uh, spent the last week in Haiti with my wife, and uh, we were there to visit a little girl that we're adopting, and it was actually our first time meeting her. So that was a, a real whirlwind, and it was wild being in Haiti. Um, I knew it was the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, but I was still uh, unprepared for the the density of the poverty. I guess I was imagining it a little more um, uh, kind of like Af- a lot of African countries where you know people are poor, but there's land to work and there's trees and natural resources. Haiti's a little different. Uh, most of the trees have been cut down, and when you get into Port-au-Prince, it's just mile after mile of uh, shacks and concrete rubble from the earthquake and trash uh, and burning trash and open sewage running down the streets, and it just keeps going, and there's just people. The, just the density of the people who are trapped in this poverty, it just keeps going mile after mile. And, uh, but eventually, in the little truck that picked us up, we got to a big steel gate that opened and into a village compound of a Christian orphanage there, uh, tall cement walls uh, with razor wire at the top. That's how anything secure is over there. And we got to spend uh, three or four days with uh, the little girl. In fact, I brought a picture for you guys because I know you'd want to see her. Um, so, so that's her. Yeah, she was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she was just born in July, and you you just never know um, with international adoption. Uh, but we're uh, so thankful that she's super healthy and interactive, and just an amazing little girl. And we just keep praying that God will uh, use her to change the world. She's already changing our world. So, uh, so thanks for those of you who've supported us and who are praying for us on that journey. Uh, while we were there visiting um, Evie. Uh, I got to go out. Uh, actually, Jamie, our worship leader, his dad, Tim Parker, goes over to this orphanage about once a month. And uh, really cool thing, Tim Parker from your church family goes there about once a month, helps keep this orphanage going. Another man from our church, Rolf Engelhard, uh, designed the water purification system there because there's still cholera outbreaks in Haiti because uh, people's um, waste gets into the water uh, and the wells are all pretty shallow, and, and so there's a lot of disease that comes through the water. So you need a really good water purification system. Well, another man from our church, Rolf Engelhard, designed a water purification system that's at orphanages around the world and is at this one. So Mel and I were able to drink our well water there, uh, knowing that we weren't going to get sick, thanks to Rolf. So uh, cool ways that God's uh, worked through this church that I didn't even know about till I got there. But I uh, got to venture out with Tim Parker a little bit to, to see the area. And one day we were out, and Tim had told me a story about a woman named Ophelia. Uh, Ophelia, when she was about 14, got pregnant, which is really common in Haiti. And Ophelia's mom um, told her that it was a shameful thing and that she uh, hated her. And Ophelia's mom wrapped some wire around each of her hand as like a sign of, of her shame. And then she kicked her out of the house, which I now know is, is just a shack over there. But uh, Ophelia ended up later in her life living in a cemetery. And again, when Tim had described the cemetery to me, I kind of pictured like an American cemetery where there's, you know, some land and some grave markers. Well, one day Tim and I were out driving and he said, hey, do you want to see the cemetery where Ophelia lived? And yeah, sure. So we stop and there's all this traffic on this uh, crazy dense road, all these people walking around, but there's this break in the concrete wall 
and uh, we get out of the truck, we cross the road, we go through the concrete wall, uh, and it's just all these concrete like sepulchers, uh, mostly made out of cinder blocks that just go from one to the other to the other. And in the middle um, was this uh, pile of uh, rebar and concrete uh, with a fire there, and that's a voodoo, a voodoo shrine. That fire stays burning all the time. There had just been a goat sacrifice there a day or two ago. And, and we started to walk through this small cemetery, and uh, the voodoo doctor lives there with three or four other people. And um, Ophelia lived there when Tim met her. And Ophelia um, ended up, because of what her mom did to her, she just kept putting more metal on herself and more chains. And when Tim first met her, she was living in this cemetery um, with all these chains and and metal on her. And and, and we got over to this uh, place. It's kind of like if you picture four um, openings, square concrete openings, where you would put a body in. Uh, and then they cement over. Well, one of them was not cemented over, and it was the lowest one, and it went down into the ground. And, and so it goes down, and there's water down in there. And he said, this is where Ophelia, this is where Ophelia lived. She would sleep in here. Uh, and when Tim found her, she had this big uh, sore on her leg, and he was pretty sure she was going to die because it was infected. It's this incredible story that sometime we'll get Tim up here to tell you the entire thing. Uh, because Tim one night was praying at the orphanage and just felt like God was saying to go get Ophelia and take her to the hospital. Uh, so he got there, and if you haven't seen Tim, he's like G.I. Joe. His, his arms are huge, okay? And, and uh, when he got to Ophelia, uh, he went to pick her up, and it was almost like there was demonic forces holding her down. Uh, he couldn't get her up, and there were some other Christians with him, and they prayed together, and he got her up, and they got her into a vehicle, they got her to a hospital, and, and literally minutes before they arrived at the hospital, a team of American doctors from Doctors Without Borders had just arrived at the hospital. So this new team of doctors is just there. They bring Ophelia in, and this, these doctors put her right into surgery and uh, spend hours cutting off all these wires and chains. And they find out in the process, Ophelia looked like she's like 60 years old, that she was actually only in her 20s. Uh, but she's HIV positive. She's all these other diseases. She's extremely malnourished. Uh, they were able to save her leg and save her life, though she's, she's clearly dying. But um, now Ophelia, um, who has some mental health issues because of the things she's been through in life, she has heard the message of Jesus in her language. She's accepted Christ as her Savior. She's now in a hospice facility. Get this. that's run. It's a Catholic hospice facility run by Catholics from South Korea. And because in Haiti, um, there's, there's great need, like any poor country, for all the, the young children who are orphaned and then for all the people who are dying. There's just not a lot of resources or people to take care of those ends of the population. So Ophelia's in there with a lot of older folks who are at the end of life, and she's at the end of her life on earth because of AIDS and other things. But she knows Jesus now. She's clean. She's in a place of peace, and it was incredible to see uh, with my own eyes. I had heard the story, but to see that cemetery where Ophelia had started and, uh, and moving uh, for me and Mel, because that's our great hope, uh, is that for this little girl that she won't have a future like that. Um, Ophelia, I was thinking about our message today because we're continuing this series on shame. I thought, wow, what a picture because today we're talking about the, the life-defining shame that's in your life, the kind of 
mega shame, the deepest shame. Uh, in Ophelia's case, it was that when she was 14 or 15 and got pregnant and her mom said, what you've done is shameful and I'm kicking you out of our house. Uh, if you're visiting, we're on part three of a series about shame and honor. And in week one, we learned that the opposite of shame is not just innocence. You can be forgiven for something but not be honored. The opposite of shame is honor. And we've seen in the story that uh, we typically in America call the prodigal son that when God forgives us through Jesus, he doesn't just forgive us and say, well, now you're technically legally forgiven, but you still need to kind of walk around with your head down because you're a shameful person. That's not what God says. When we come to the cross, when we say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need Jesus in my life. God not only forgives us, he not only makes us innocent, he honors us. And that's what the story of the prodigal son and so many of Jesus' other stories and so much of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about. It's about our shamefulness being completely covered and us now being in a relationship with God where he honors us, where we are co-heirs with Christ. We have the honor of Christ on our lives. And this series is so good for us because um, I think a lot of us, myself included, we we understand that God loves us. We understand that we're forgiven, but we don't really believe that we're honored by God. So in week one, we set the foundation for this in this story in Luke 15. Last week, if you missed it, was a really powerful week. We talked about our mistakes uh, because uh, we're looking now at barriers. What, what are the real things in our lives that keep us from feeling honored? And one of them is our mistakes, that if you're like me, you still sin you still have flaws, you still make mistakes, and when that happens, you have a hard time believing that God could possibly honor you. So if you missed last week's message on mistakes, it's a powerful one, especially if you have a sin struggle or an addiction or a habit in your life. Um, God's going to help you overcome that as you understand how honored you are through the cross, not as you walk around with your head down in shame. This week, we're looking at another barrier to our really believing that God honors us, and that is the, the big kahuna mistakes, those huge life-defining mistakes uh, or shames that most of us have. In Ophelia's case, it was that, that, that shame of, of getting pregnant at 14 or 15, and then that shame that her mom put onto her and said, you're not worthy, that, that defined her for the rest of her life, that center on a, a life trajectory. And it's that kind of shame that we're talking about today. So, so in your heart, I don't know what an equivalent kind of life-defining shame is. Maybe for you, it's something that you uh, did in your 20s. Maybe for you, it's something you did as a teenager. Maybe for you, it's not something you did, but it's something that you were told over and over as a child. Um, that you're not good enough, that you don't live up to the expectations. And, and remember from week one, there are shames that come from actual things we've done wrong. There's also shames that people put on us uh, that sometimes uh, just have to do with the fact that we got a funny-looking nose or something else. And, and people shame us, and, and, and we start to absorb that and take it on and carry it around with us. What's the kind of life-defining shame in your life? What's the, the thing that is so shameful that you think, well, yeah, this stuff might apply to other Christians. This stuff might apply to other people. But because of this thing in my life and in my past, 
God's honor probably doesn't apply to me. What is that matter in your life? Well, God's solution to our shame is different from ours. Our solution is usually to deny it, to distract ourselves from it, or to run to things that give us temporary relief from it. God's solution is different. It was to actually carry our shame, to take it off of us, to put it onto himself and carry it. God's solution we're going to see today is to cover our shame, to completely cover us. Just like Tim Parker, as one of God's agents on earth, was able to go to this shamed woman living in a cemetery, covered in symbols of shame, and pick her up and take her to a place of healing, and then take her to a place of honor, where she'll be honored as she finishes her time on earth. In a very similar way, God wants to pick you up from that shame. Uh, He doesn't want you carrying that around with you anymore. And, And here's why. You don't have to carry that shame anymore because Jesus already carried it to the cross. You see, it's already been carried. You you might not believe it, but it has been. And my prayer for you today is that you would receive it and that you would release that shame in your life because Jesus has already carried it. You don't need to carry it anymore. We're going to dive back into this story that we typically call the prodigal son. We've seen in our journey that a better name for it might be the shameful son honored. Because you can summarize the story of the prodigal son that Jesus intentionally, as he tells this story, he uses all the symbols of shame in that culture. In this this prodigal son, he's really a shameful son. He makes shameful choices and they leave him in a shameful position. But, but last week we learned that he was not defined by his mistake. Jesus never called him the prodigal. We came up with that, okay? Jesus never called him the prodigal son. He's not defined by his mistake. He was defined by two things. Remember that he returned, and when he was returned, his father's extravagant love restored him. And in your life, when you turn to Christ, you're no longer defined by your mistakes. You're defined by the fact that you returned and that God restores you through his extravagant love. You can have the same life story of someone who was shamed and is honored because of the cross of Christ. And we're going to start off by just zooming in on one portion of that story today. And here's what we see in that portion. The father shames himself in order to cover his son's shame with honor. This is such a powerful, powerful idea. And in the story that Jesus tells to communicate to us, here's the heart of God the Father to you, we're going to see that God literally covers our shame in life if we will return to him when we do return to him. So let's look at verse 20 of Luke chapter 15. And here's what we see in our text. So he, this shameful son who has run away from home, And if you missed either one of the last two weeks, he had said to his dad, Hey, Dad, um, I want what I would get when you die, my inheritance. I want it now. Dad, you're better off to me dead. I don't love you. I want your stuff. Shameful request. The father gives it to him. And it's a great amount of wealth, wealth that has been accumulated generation after generation, passed down from generations of agricultural people working out under the sun 
And the shameful son takes all that wealth and he goes and he squanders it. He, he Las Vegas living wastes it. And, and then he ends up in the most shameful position a person could be in, in the Near East or Middle East at this time. He's homeless. His honorable clothes have all been pawned off. He's working for a foreigner in a foreign land. He's working with pigs, which are a symbol of shame still today in the Middle East. And he's starving, and no one cares about him. People walk by him, and they say, shame on you for being in the position you're in. They don't help you out in a shame-honor culture like that. That's where he was. And one day, he comes to his senses and realizes, even my dad's servants live better than I do. So he got up and went to his father. And we describe this moment in week one while he was still a long way off down that country road. His father sees him and is filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, throws his arms around him in this extravagant display of emotion and kissed him. Let's look at the next verse. The father says to his servants, quick, bring the best Robe. Now, I studied this phrase this last week, and, and I want to park here at the best robe and explain to you all the significance of this phrase. Uh, first of all, again, this is a shame-honor culture. We don't live in a shame-honor culture. Most of us, if you went to our house and you said, what's your best robe? We'd be like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've got a few like favorite sweaters or something, you know. But, um, what, you know, we don't really have an idea of what a, a best robe is. Is. So I wanted to study this a little bit. And here's what I learned. First of all, this word best is the Greek word protos. It's where we get our word proton, and it means first. It means the number one. And it's used to describe honor. It's used to describe being in the position of the chief. And so the reality is, because clothes were traded like money and livestock at this time, a house would have a best robe a robe that was worth the most, a robe that was the most honorable. And get this, this word robe is not just any, it's not like, the, it's not like all the weight of the symbolism is just in the word best, like the best generic word for clothes or cloak, okay? Let me tell you about this word robe because it's a really specific word. Here's the definition of it. Quote, a loose outer garment for men that extends to the feet Worn by kings, priests, and persons of rank. Okay, this is a, that's what this word is. This is not just a generic robe. This is a specific kind of robe in the culture. And if any of you are nerdy like me, I've got some references for you that you can write down, okay? There's three other uh, places that this word is used in the New Testament. The first is of the scribes and Pharisees. You might remember the scribes and Pharisees were people who used their position of spiritual influence to make themselves wealthy, and they lived very wealthy lives, and they wore these kind of robes. And, and you're familiar with the verses where Jesus says, don't be like the scribes and Pharisees who, who walk around kind of flaunting who they are. And then he, and in those descriptions, Jesus uses this word for robe in Mark 12, 38, and in Luke 20, verse 46. So, so this is something a very rich person would wear. A, again, a symbol of honor. You might remember the story after Jesus' resurrection when the disciples run to the tomb and there's an angel seated there dressed in a fine white robe. And the angel says, um, 
why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus isn't here. Well, this same word is used there uh, in Mark 16, verse 5. An angel is wearing this word. And then finally, this is really neat, in the book of Revelation, the word is used four times of God's people in kingdom come, that, we, that, that God's people will be clothed with one of these, a robe of honor, a symbolic robe of honor. And those are found in Revelation 6, 11, and 7, 9 through 14. So, so this is not one of the best robes. This is not a good robe. Uh, this is not the robe that used to be my best, but since I just upgraded, you know, it's now up for grabs. No, the Father says, bring me the one and only best robe. Who should that robe be for in this house? The Father, right? Because the Father is not dead yet. <laughs> He's still there, despite how the Son acted about him. Have we ever acted in our lives like God was dead <laughs> or dead to us? And the Son now comes home and the Father says, my robe, my the one very best, most honorable robe that's mine, bring me that one. And get it quickly, because I want to completely cover over my son's shame with my honor. And then he continues, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. We talked about these in past weeks. If you missed it, you can watch those messages and learn about uh, the importance of those. Bring the fattened calf. That word is literally the grain-fed calf. You ever been at a, a nice restaurant or, or a nice grocery store and there's grain-fed beef? This is the same thing, okay? This is a grain-fed calf and kill it. And again, in a shame-honor society, it's not let's kill it and sell most of the meat and, and let's just have one meal and sell it. It's let's kill it and let's consume it all in an extravagant show of honor for whoever we're honoring. So all our servants and all their kids and probably everyone from the community who's hungry is going to show up and we're going to have a party and everyone will be fed and this will be consumed in a great, a great, a great show of honor, an extravagant symbol of honor. So the father's literally covering the son's shame with his honor, covering the son's embarrassment with his riches. You might want to write this down. God takes your life-defining shame and redefines it. God takes your life-defining shame and he redefines it when you return to him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that through Christ, your heavenly father wants to run to you, throw his arms around you, and say to his servants, bring my best robe. Bring my best, the very holiness of Jesus Christ, because I want to wrap that around this person I love who ran away. Well, this is what Christmas is all about. At Christmas, we're celebrating the process that Almighty God, who created us, who created the stars and the mountains and the seas and the clouds, that Almighty God left the wealth and comfort of heaven and step down into the poverty and disorder of humanity on earth, the sinfulness of us who had turned our backs on God, and he came down, why? So that for all who believe in him, 
We can have forgiveness of sins. We can have eternal life. We can have his honor covering our shame. You can put it this way. Jesus gave up his honor so he could cover your shame. Philippians 2 summarizes that very well. That Jesus, who being in very nature God, humbled himself, took upon him the form of a man, came down as a servant among us, and then humbled himself further to death, and then humbled himself further to death on a cross. Why did he do all that? He gave up his honor so he could give you his honor. He came down into our world so that he could take you ultimately out of this world. Sometimes in our pride, we don't want someone else to help us. Sometimes our pride says, I don't want you to cover my shame. I don't need your help. Or I know I need it, but I'm going to say I don't because I don't want to admit that I need it. Is that maybe where you are when it comes to the most shameful thing in your story, in your life, in your past? It's no accident that Jesus uses these shame and honor symbols in these stories, these parables that he told. And it's also no accident that in the true stories that the gospel tells us, the gospels, they give us true accounts, things that actually happened where Jesus interacted with people, that again, we see honor and shame. And that's what we're going to look at now. In a shame-honor society, Jesus interacted with the most shameful people, and he healed them. And there are many, many examples of this. But here's the point of all the examples of it. In your life, in your life, Jesus wants to interact with the most shameful parts of you so that he can heal them, so that he can cover them, so that he can restore them. So let's look at a a true story of this in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Again, a difference. There are parables that Jesus told as illustrative stories. And then the Gospels are also full of true stories that literally happened involving Jesus. We find one of these in Luke 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who, uh, this is really interesting, he was covered with leprosy. Leprosy, one of the most shameful things you can have in this society. Because according to Old Testament law and all sorts of traditions that these folks had, when, when you had leprosy, you had to go live outside the city gates. You had to live in a leper colony. You couldn't go to the temple, the place of honor. You, you weren't allowed to touch anyone because you might transmit the disease. And you had to walk around yelling, unclean, unclean. So for this reason, lepers didn't often walk around in the population. Because how would you like to walk around and everywhere you go have to yell out verbally that you are shameful? And it's interesting because uh, often, you know, leprosy would start with the hand and the fingers or, or one other extremity of the body. But this particular leper is covered with leprosy. And if in your life, when you look at yourself honestly not how you describe yourself to others, but how you think of yourself is covered with shame. Well, God brought you here today to hear this story. 
got, this one's for you, okay? This one's for those of us who at times feel covered with shame. And when this leper sees Jesus, he falls down on his face on the ground and he begs him, Lord, now that was not a religious word at the time, that's the word master. Master, if you are willing, you can heal me? No. You can make me clean. See, this is about shame and honor. You can, you can cleanse me, right? If you've got a disease in America, do you want to be clean from it or do you want to be healed from it? Well, you probably want to be healed, right? Now, this guy is asking for healing, but what he's actually after is cleansing. He wants to be cleansed from the shame that he has carried around on his body. Make me clean. It's about being honored as a human being after having spent a lifetime in shame. Isn't that some of you here today? Isn't that some of us today? You spent your childhood in shame. You spent your teenage years in shame. You spent this recent season of your life in shame. Some sort of leprosy came into your life. You were abused, or you were wronged, or you did something wrong. Some sort of leprosy came into your life, and ever since, when you see yourself, you see someone who's covered in shame. And it affects your marriage. Because if you only see yourself as shameful, then you don't let other people love you, even if they want to. It affects all your relationships when you see yourself shamed. It affects your parenting. Because you, you either, if you see yourself as shameful and you're parenting, then you either shame your children or you never discipline them because who are you to tell them what's right and wrong because of how shameful you are? Do you know, weary bearer of shame, covered in regret and self-loathing, do you know that you can come to Jesus? Like this leper covered in shame, you can come to the master, you can come to the savior, not merely for healing, but for cleansing, to be made clean. Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And friend, the master is willing. The master is waiting for you to accept his cleansing. Let's look at the next verse. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Nobody touched lepers. Nobody talked to lepers. Here's Jesus who spoke the world into existence. Here's Jesus who could have said, be clean without touching him. But Jesus reaches out. This is the heart of God to you, to reach out and touch the most shameful parts of you, the parts that you don't let anyone else see because you know they wouldn't touch. Jesus reaches out, touches. This man has probably not been touched for years. This leprosy covers his body. This is not an accident. 
a very intentional move by God on earth among us, demonstrating the heart of God toward us. The most shameful person in that society comes to him and in genuine humility falls on his face and says, Master, please cleanse me, clean me. And Jesus reaches down and touches him. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. I wonder if you've ever been touched like that in your relationship with Jesus. Have you ever asked once and for a lifetime forward for his full and immediate and lasting cleansing? He had this moment. I'm willing, Jesus says. And he's willing for you today. Believe it. Receive it. You can have that moment this very instant. You can trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and so much more for the cleansing of your shame. Then, verse 14, Jesus orders him this. Don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony for them. Now, the Levitical law had all sorts of rules for lepers. And it didn't have any kind of cure for them. But if a leper thought they'd been cured, it had a, a process for them to go through. And the beginning of it is to go to the place of honor, the temple, and to consult a priest and to consult with that priest to, to get the kind of okay from the priest of, all right, you are honored. Now, again, if we don't really understand a shame on our culture, we might look at this and be like, well, that's weird. Jesus like, heals the guy, and then he tells him to go on an errand or something, right? This isn't an errand. This is, a, this is the completing of his healing for, for the leper. Because everyone who knows the leper knows him as a shameful person who can't be touched, who can't be talked to. And, and Jesus is now saying, go... And make it official. Make it official that you don't live a life of shame anymore. Go to the place of honor and make it official that you are now honored. That you are now cleansed. I've cleansed you on the inside where it matters. Now go and make it official on the outside. Go and let others see you and honor you. Again, I think where many of us, we, we, we understand some of these truths up here. But in our hearts, we haven't gone to the temple. We haven't made it official. We haven't decided, I'm going to live the rest of my life like that shame is in my past, and it's cleansed, and it's covered, and it no longer defines me. Instead of going to the temple, we, we go back to the leper colony. And we're cleansed in God's eyes because of Jesus and his work on the cross, we're cleansed in the eyes of Satan and the angels and the demons and the universe. The only eyes we're not cleansed in are our own. 
there's a false humility, a fake humility that says, oh, I don't want others to see that I'm now honored because I'm not really honored. That's not humility. That's doubt. That's disbelief. That's faithlessness. Because you are honored. You are cleansed. God proclaims it. The angels believe it. The saints in heaven know it. It's time for us to start receiving it and believing it. Let the world see that you who were blind can now see. That you who were ashamed are now honored. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I wonder, have you made it official? Have you so believed in Jesus' cleansing that you no longer see yourself as where you were, but entirely as where you are? Not as the prodigal, but as the one who has returned and whose shame has been completely covered by the honor of the Father. In this story, we see Jesus interacting with one of the most shameful people groups in his society. Do you believe, do you really believe that he wants to interact with the most shameful parts of you? He does. He says it. This is his heart. This is his word. Jesus touches the leper's untouchable shame. Why? In order to heal him and honor him. And Jesus, because of the cross, because of what he did when he died in our place, he wants to touch your untouchable shame. Will you let him? Will you fall on your face before him? Will you come to him and say, Master, if you're willing, I know you can take this away from I believe in you more than I believe in my shame. As heavy as this is, as ever-present as it is with me, I believe that you are a greater force than that force. And if you're willing, you can heal me. You can cleanse me. You can take me from a place of shame to honor. Well, why is it that Jesus is able to do this? What is it about Jesus that enables him to take our shame and turn it into honor. I mean, are, are these just cute words or cute religious ideas? Because shame, if you think about it, is not something that can easily be cleaned up. Shame is kind of like an oil spill or like leprosy. Once shame is out, it's not easily put back in the container. Shame can't be vacuumed up. Shame cannot be removed in surgery. Shame does not evaporate with time. So what is it about Jesus that enables him to consume, to cover, to devour, bury, and cleanse our shame? What gives him the authority? What gives him the capability to do such a thing? And the answer is the cross. Jesus is able to cover our shame because his cross his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Again, when you read Genesis to Revelation through the lens of a shame-honor culture, you begin to see that the cross, yes, it's about our guilt being washed away and us being innocent, but it's about our shame being covered. The cross is a shameful way to die. You know, Muhammad 
never carried the shame of the world, never claimed to. The Buddha never carried the shame of the world, never claimed to. Confucius didn't carry the shame of the world. Joseph Smith didn't carry the shame of the world. All the the respected spiritual teachers of history, of all of them, just one, just one claimed that he himself would carry the shame of everyone who trusted in him. Jesus Christ, God in human form. He's the only one who claimed to carry our shame. He's the only one of the great respected religious teachers who claimed, I'm not a prophet of God, I am the one true God. And here's the proof that I can carry your shame. I'll take it to a cross and I'll be killed in your place. And after three days, I'll rise from the dead and the whole world will know I am who I say I am. I am the one true God because nobody else raises from the dead. God put it this way in Hebrews 12, verse 2. For the joy set before him. What's that joy set before him? That's us being reunited with him in heaven. That's heaven and earth redeemed and restored to the way they were before sin and the fall. That's Jesus as the perfect son of God, knowing that he fulfilled the purpose and plan of God the Father. For that joy, he endured all sorts of agony on earth. He endured the cross. And look at those three words. Scorning its shame. When Jesus endured the cross, he was enduring our shame. I think the King James says, despising its shame. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at Jesus sweating drops of blood. As infinite, almighty God, perfectly holy, he wasn't like, oh great, I'll take on everyone's shame. He says, Father, if there's no other way There's no other way to cover their shame. If there's no one else who can drink their cup of bitterness, if there's no other way for someone to take their consequences and and cover their shame, if there's no other way, then Father, not my will but yours be done. For the joy of how it will end up when we're with him in eternity, he endured that. And as he endured it, he despised the shame of it. He didn't despise you, but he did despise your shame just as you despise it. And he took it, he carried it. And then after being raised from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Had you ever noticed that scripture declares that Jesus didn't just carry your guilt, he also carried your shame? So you don't have to carry it anymore because Jesus already did. You don't have to walk under the weight of it anymore because he already did. We don't have time to unpack these, but I want you uh, to be aware of them. Jesus endured the most shameful ways of being humiliated, again, in that shame honor culture. But why? You know, we, we tend to focus as, as Westerners, on just the physical agony of the cross, and that's totally true. But to people from the cultures that Scripture was written in, the, the, the real uh, problem of the cross is the shame of it. So there's references here and on your notes that you can look up later. 
But in a shame-honored culture, Jesus endured the shame of a public criminal trial. Not a private, closed-door trial, but a public trial where the whole city's looking on. That's a shameful thing. He endured the shame of public beatings and mockery. And now, you know, sometimes these reports come from the Middle East of ISIS going in and uh, this ISIS group into city squares and rounding up Christians and others who, do, who are not Muslim and, and killing them publicly and savagely. What's all that about? It's about this. It's about shame. It's about publicity and shame. Public beatings, public mockery, and then the shame of public nakedness. If you look at John 19, verse 23, it says that, that not only Jesus' outer clothes were taken off, but his underclothes. Jesus was, was naked, okay? That's, that'd be shameful even for most of us, right? Incredibly shameful in this society. And then the shame of the death of the worst of the worst of criminals. Public crucifixion. Again, for a man in this kind of culture to endure these kinds of shame is worse than death. They'd rather, they'd rather kill themselves and not have to endure this kind of shame. And you can see that in the Middle East today. Why did Jesus go through all that? Here's why. Because at the cross, Jesus didn't just take your punishment. He did take your punishment. But he also took your shame. He did that so you don't have to do that. He was publicly humiliated under the weight of shame so that you don't have to be anymore. Is there a shame in your life that you're still carrying? If so, will you pray in faith? Asking God to help you believe this, that because of Jesus, you're set free from that, you're cleansed. Your shame is presently covered and you are set free. So here's my challenge to us together today. First of all, do you know Christ is your Savior? Have you come to the cross and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Have you done that? For all of us who have, my challenge for us is to become true Christians in the truest sense of believing that Jesus not only died to take our punishment, but he also died to take our shame, and you could put it this way, become a true Christian, a full Christian, in realizing this, that you no longer need to carry that shame around with you, because Christ already carried it for you, and it's covered. It's covered. Well, next week's going to be incredible, because we're going to get into how we relate to each other. Look at that older brother who was so offended that the shameful brother would be honored. And we're going to learn that we have a great power in ourselves to shame or to honor those who we love. And a lot of us haven't really been aware of that capability. And maybe we've accidentally been shaming people that we'd want to be honoring if we were aware of that power. So uh, it's going to be a great week. And uh, again, we'll pick up in Luke 15 with this story. But as we go today... Do you believe that Jesus carried your shame? All of it? Do you believe that he covers your shame? All of it?
And we're going to close with a song. And uh, why don't you go ahead and close your eyes now. Actually, why don't you guys stand and close your eyes? I've been talking for a while. Beautiful old hymn. And I'm going to read the words to you, and then maybe Jamie will sing some of them in a little bit. Calvary covers it all. Now that you're standing, you can close your eyes if you want. Listen to these words. Far dearer than all that the world can impart was the message that came to my heart. How that Jesus alone for my sin did atone in Calvary. It's that mountain where Jesus was crucified covers it all. Calvary covers it all. My past with its sin and stain, my guilt and despair, Jesus took on him there. And Calvary covers it all. The stripes that he bore and the thorns that he wore told his mercy and love evermore. And my heart bowed in shame as I called on his name. And Calvary covers it all. Father, I pray as we go from here today, pray for every man and woman in this room. It is not your desire that any of them would walk a life weighed down with their head down under the weight of shame. Because Jesus, you walked that road of shame for us with your head down under the weight of the cross. You carried our shame for us. So Lord, we accept your free gift of salvation. We accept the forgiveness of our sins when we throw ourselves down before you and say, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Lord, today I pray across this room as we close that in, in the heart of every man and woman, there'd be a great crying out to you that says, Master, I know you can make me clean. And as we go from here, Lord, Will we allow you as that loving father who runs down that country road to wrap that robe, that first place, best robe of honor around us? Heavenly Father, you give us your honor, the honor of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified for the sins of the world. You wrap it around all who believe in you by faith. Lord, many of us, we have that honor on us. And when you look at us, you see it. But, but we've been living short of who we are because we don't see it. So will you help us? Will you free us? Will you cleanse us? Will you enable us to see who we are in you and live as your sons and daughters, no longer carrying our shame? Because Jesus, thank you. You already carried it for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.